Hey, welcome to Inside the Album. I'm Don Seckler. That's Tommy Hilkin. How's it going today, Tom? Don, real good. How you doing? Good, 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 good. Just want to welcome everybody. Thank you so much for listening to Inside oh, yeah. the Album. It's a podcast where we pick one classic rock and roll album and talk about all the stories behind the recording of that album and, and what was going on. And hopefully we, you know, overturn some myths and uh, let you know the real story about the recording of these great, great records. Yeah. So today we are going to dive into London Calling by The Woo! Clash. So yeah, great, great. One of my all time favorite albums. And wow. this one uh, is a double album. So we're, we're not going to do the whole thing, but we're going to kind of pick and choose the songs that, you know, uh, we kind of like, and, and we have some information for. So we'll walk through those and, and give you kind of a, a picture of what was going on with the, with the band at the time. And check out www.insidethealbum.com. That's where you can see all of the episodes. You can listen to any episode from the entire series. Where This is our 16th episode, I believe. So we have a lot to go back wow. and listen to if you uh, are just trying to get caught up. Well, so you think about it, Don. We Now we have data and statistics. How crazy is that? We do. We wow. actually have a lot of data. We're actually listened to, Tom, in 49 countries nice. with almost 3,000 downloads, which is listens in podcast speak. So yeah, I, heard, I heard we're killing in Cambodia. I don't yes. Know, I just... Yeah, we're very, very popular in Eastern <laughs> Europe. And uh, so we'd like to give a shout out to everybody in Bosnia. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't speak Bosnian, but we're okay. I don't, is that even still a country? I don't even know if that is or not. <laughs> nice try. You probably offended someone. But probably. We'll get a we'll get an email, <laughs> or we'll get canceled. <laughs> Culture canceled. Culture canceled in Bosnia. So let's talk about something positive, yeah. and that's the charity we're working with, along yeah. with inside the album. Tell us all about it. Well, thanks, Don. You know, it's a uh, music for Mark. The reason we get together is really to raise awareness of what we're doing. Music for Mark is our foundation where we, we bring musical lessons and musical instruments to kids, kids who might not be able to get their hands on a guitar or a keyboard, things like that. We just want to keep the music going in the world. So musicformark.com, help us bring music to kids who will bring music to the world. Yes. And if you have any used or instruments laying around in your house that have never been touched, let us mm -hmm. know. We'd be happy to take that off your hands, help you clean up your house and help yeah. us move forward our mission of bringing music to the world. Beautiful. So, Tom, it's time for the always exciting Inside the Album shout out. Oh, I didn't realize that. All right, here we go. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting tight. So this week, we're going to give our Inside the Album shout out to Alex Baelish. Oh. So Alex Alex is a friend of ours that we know from, uh, from our business circles here in uh, New Jersey. Wow. 
But Alex also has his own podcast. And yes, he does. Yeah, that podcast is called Field to Screen. And it is all about uh, movies about sports. So it's very interesting. I'd love you to guys to check it out. Uh, Alex actually had um, me and our friend Walt Blau, who does the Inside the, or um, not Inside, <laughs> Walt's Kitchen Table podcast. Uh, Walt and I were both on Alex's podcast talking about the movie Rounders, which is a poker movie. Ah. So Alex said to me, hey, do you want to do an episode? And I said, well, can we do it about poker? Because I don't know if you consider that a sport, but I do. So, yeah. you know, he, he was OK <laughs> with it. So we jumped on there. It was a great episode. And oh, I think great. that, yeah, I think that should be airing soon. So check out Field to Screen podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And I, like you, unlike you, the reason I hang out with Alex is he knows how to restart a heart and give CPR. So I keep him as... <laughs> That's your criteria as these days for companions? People I keep who can him restart a heart? <laughs> yeah. He's in my speed dial. That's very proactive of you. <laughs> my 911 goes right to Alex. Nice. That's a good call. Good call. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about London Calling. It's by The Clash, mm -hmm. legendary, legendary band. This album, I, 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 to me, is is their finest work. Uh, you know, I love all the Clash work. I love the I love the stuff that the the guys in the Clash did after the Clash. I love Big Audio Dynamite. I love Joe Strummer with the Mescaleros, and you know, just great, great stuff. So let's talk about the band. Uh, I don't know, you know, people probably know Joe Strummer. He's the lead mm -hmm. vocalist for the, for most of the songs, rhythm guitar. You've got Mick Jones, who was the lead guitarist, did some vocals. Uh, Paul Simonon on bass, backing vocals. And he actually does lead vocals on uh, The Guns of Brixton, which is a song on London Calling. And then Topper Hedden is the drummer for The Clash. The album was released in uh, early 1980, in January 1980 in the U.S., but yeah. in December of 79 in the U.K. So a, a lot of media outlets have called it the, the one of the best albums of the 80s, and some people dispute that because they say it was out in you know the last month of 79 in the U.K. Ugh. So, you know, picky, but, you know, I wouldn't get to that kind of pickiness. I think it's an 80s album, and I do agree that it is one of the one of the great ones of the 80s. Oh, yeah, no doubt. So they recorded in London. Uh, they're British guys, obviously. Uh, well, maybe not so obviously, but <laughs> they are British. And it was recorded in London during uh, August, September, and November of 1979. So at the time on the charts, there was a lot of interesting stuff going on in the rock world. We had The Wall by Pink Floyd. Again, we've talked about Pink wow. Floyd over and over again as we love them. Mm -hmm. Just but The Wall, just a dominant album that had, you know, hit after hit after hit. Rock radio was was flooded with The Wall. Sure. Uh, you had The Long Run by The Eagles, which I know we've mentioned that before. Another album with tons and tons of popular rock songs. Oh, yeah. Interesting other couple of albums that were popular in that year, 1980, was In the Heat of the Night by Pat Benatar, which, you know, a little bit more mainstream rock. You know, The Clash is, is a little bit more punkier, uh, but still a, a big album. Pat Benatar became one of the was one of the big, big stars of the early 80s. Oh, I'll say. Yeah. And then uh, and, and girls used to dress like Pat Benatar, right? You used to see a lot of Pat Benatars walking around. Not just girls. Not just girls. <laughs> Not just girls. You had a little Pat Benatar phase that you went through. 
Yeah, I just spiked my hair a little bit. That's all. <laughs> nice. And then uh, the other album, which we are definitely going to cover, was the first Pretenders album that came out uh, in, in 1980. So uh, amazing, amazing record. So yes. a lot of good stuff out there at the time. I, I don't know that this album got less visibility because of those things. But it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't the, the. I don't think it was like the mainstay that that some of these other albums or it didn't have the visibility initially that a lot of these albums had. You know, what's interesting about that point, and I was thinking about it, right, of how big this album could have been, should have been. Uh, they were always labeled as punk rockers. Right. And punk was uh, starting to fade kind of sort of a little bit. And uh, so that's one of the things. Oh, this is another punk band, you know? And it's Yeah. Like, and. You know, this album is less punk than their first two, I think. Mm. Uh, there's still some punk edge to it. But part of punk is is diversity and and kind of a, a bunch of different types of music. So they've got some, uh, you know, there's some reggae on here. There's some ska. Yeah. So there's all these things that are kind of punk adjacent. Yep. You know, that, and they expanded out with a little bit of different flavor on these things. They even did some rockabilly type stuff on here and we'll, we'll get into that. So it, it's a lot, it's not, it's not a, you know, it's not like a Ramones or a Sex Pistols record at all. You know, at those all. guys yep. were boom, 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 hardcore. This is punk. We're sticking to it. But the, the Clash always covered a lot of different styles, even on their punk records, there was a lot of variety. So this this one actually sold five million copies, and when it opened, it really did have a lot of widespread critical acclaim. So it was popular with the critics at the when it first uh, came out, which is interesting. A lot of times you see these albums that were not thought of so great when they were first released, and then 20, 30 years down the road, they become critic starlings kind of thing. But this is one album that really was uh, liked by the critics right off the bat. Yeah, very interesting though. You know, you're talking to, to you and I, you know, like I always say, it's an album we all had in our, you know, milk crates, but 5 million copies. That's it. Yeah. That's not, yeah. That, that, there's something there. You know? I mean, yeah, still a hit record, but it was, you know, it wasn't like an Elton John record where it was going to yeah. be bought by everybody. So it was still, I think, and it was still, it was that kind of punk you know, um, thing that people thought it was a punk and that was a little scary to people at the time. Very, very interesting. The dynamic, now that I think about it, you know, they fell right in between punk and new wave. Right. Yeah. They kind of bridged the gap a little bit. They never really did new wave, but like I said, no, they I'm did gap. They fell in between yeah. the, you know, the progression between punk and new wave. Right. Kind of got lost in the middle somewhere. Yeah. And as a band, they, like I said, that on here, we, and we'll hear it when we play these songs, they explored a lot of different types of music. So, um, you know, yeah, it was just an awesome, awesome record. Oh, it yeah. was, it was ranked number eight on Rolling Stone's 500 greatest albums of all time. So that's pretty impressive. <laughs> number eight. Think number about eight. that. Yeah. I, I get it. You just said number eight. And so uh, in interesting. I'm trying to think about 1980, why albums wouldn't sell, you know, really was it, well, I think it was because of the, you know, the the. I think it was mostly because of the punk thing. So everybody, you know, if people were not into punk, they were scared by punk, you know, they might stay away from this. You know, we, we talked about how the crazy the lyrics were on those Ramones, on that Ramones so record, that which was, was just, you know, a year or two before this. Um, and then uh, this album is also inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. So again, nice. it's it does get its rightful due in terms of, 
these you know types of rankings and people how they look at the album now yeah uh, it, it was their third record so they had the first two records the first one was really punky the second one a lot less this one even more or less but this one was a double so it was kind of against the grain which is kind of a punk thing to do um but there's 19 songs on this record and they're all great songs and you know it's just an amazing amazing double album beautiful i look forward to hearing it yes so let's talk about the cover the cover's kind of cool it's got this iconic shot of uh of paul uh Simonen, uh smashing his bass and he was actually uh smashing the bass at the palladium in new york city and uh. the, the picture was taken on september 20th of 1979 so the reason he's smashing the bass is because he had frustration because the bouncers at the concert were not letting people stand up <laughs> yeah. so you know back in the day it wasn't like it is today a lot of it was like controlling the rock and roll crowd trying to keep them from getting too crazy yeah. and again these guys are a punk band and so these venues were you know had seen what happened at some of the punk shows and so <laughs> they were trying to keep control of the situation uh, well the palladium was a theater so it wasn't really really cut out for punk shows right it right. wasn't much room for a mosh pit right so when you get into those situations they're trying to just keep people from smashing stuff and and you know breaking things i guess yeah but interesting thing about the picture and you can see it here it's not super in focus and so the photographer didn't want to use it because it was a blurry shot she thought it, uh they they thought it was a very you know not a great shot and didn't want to use it but the band loved it so they went ahead and did it and then the, uh, you can see the font and the London calling words here. That's a tribute to Elvis Presley because that's the, you may know that that's, you know, one of the covers of Elvis's album had that mm -hmm. same kind of, uh, you know, text and, and font on it. So interesting story about the cover of the album. The band was at a period where they had had some success and now they were trying to uh, change things up a little bit. So they went through change in management and there was this period of time where Joe Strummer and Mick Jones, who were the main songwriters, just had writer's block. So these guys had not written a song in a year, which is crazy. Mm. When, when Usually when you see these bands at their peak, they're constantly churning out songs and writing all the time. And these guys were like, they came to like a loggerhead where they were like, we got to figure out how to get past this. Yeah, it's a lot so, of pressure. Yeah, it's a super amount of pressure because oh, they yeah. were they were having, you know, getting some traction, gaining in the world and, and starting to get some visibility. And under contract. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, there, all these issues came into play. And so mm -hmm. they decided to to do some closed practices. So they used to, you know, they didn't let anybody in the practice. So sometimes you had the bands and you get these hangers on who are there and girlfriends and all that stuff. And it gets, you know, it gets into this party scene a lot of the time. So they decided to close everybody out. We're going to go ahead and just work on covers. So they figured this will kind of stoke the fires and they didn't have to worry about the reaction from the people hanging around with them at the time. They didn't want to have to get their approval. So they locked out everybody and started doing covers of rockability, rockabilly, old rock and roll, old R&B, some reggae stuff. Nice. And so they didn't have to worry about those people's reactions and it did what they wanted it to. It kind of um, helped them 
you know, kind of restoke those songwriting fires. Yeah, it's the spark. Yeah, yeah. found their spark. Perfect. Yeah, so good move. And, you know, the good thing about this album is, it, like we were saying before, yeah, there's a bit of punk on it, but it reflects the band's growing interest in different styles beyond punk. So, like I said before, you've got reggae, you've got rockabilly, you've got ska on there. You know, there's some New Orleans R&B influences, some lounge jazz, and even like some harder rock. So, you know, you can hear all these different flavors on this album. That's one of my favorite things about it is it's not... You know, while I love like the Ramones where every song is kind of the same, you know, one, yeah. two, three, four, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but this has every song has a different feel and a different texture, but they're all so good. Yeah, the songs have more than three chords. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of times they do. So there you, there you go. So they also, the other thing was as they're doing this kind of jamming to these cover songs, they they all started to see that uh, Topper Head and the drummer could actually play a lot of different styles, more beyond the the straight ahead punk, which is just the one, two, three, four. But so you know they got into leveraging that and were able to explore these other styles, which made a big difference in the, in the songs choices. Nice. All right, so let's start it off, and we're going to start off with the title track and take a listen to this. And this one is the, uh, well, it's a title track, so it's London Calling. Hey, all right. I think uh, this song, you know, this is a, a, my, one of my favorites of all time. Uh, I, I don't know if you saw this or remember this, but when Joe Strummer died, they had uh, on the Grammys, they did a tribute. I think it was Springsteen, Dave Grohl. Who else? It might have been Elvis Costello. I forget who else. I think there was one yeah. other person who did this really, really good version of it. So I would, yeah. you could YouTube that and check it out. Um, but originally this song was called Ice Age. Joe Strummer wrote it. Uh, the lyrics were a little bit different in his first version. But he got into this whole, you know, it's this whole apocalyptic type of, of feel to it. And it's detailing a lot of the ways that the world could end, coming of the Ice Age, starvation, war, Probably the song that that 
a lot of people best know the clash for uh it's kind of lashing out against injustice rebelling against the establishment and so this is punk rock right it's it's just in your face it's hardcore it's one two three four uh but such a such a good song great song absolutely yeah, so the title came from the BBC World Services radio station identification. So this was a station that the BBC used to broadcast outside of England during World War II. Wow. Joe Strummer was living in Germany with his parents when he heard it. And they used to say, this is London calling. And, you know, that then that was the, you know, it was one of these old timey radio broadcasts, just like you see in the movies. This sure. Is Falling. So that's where that whole thing came from. And then at the end of this, very end of the song, there's kind of this beeping. It sounds like SOS and Morse code, and that's yep. what it is. And so that's Mick Jones. He made those sounds with one of his guitar pickups. I don't know exactly how he did it, but he might have been, you know, like touching the strings to the pickups or something like that. But that was a very conscious thing to put that kind of SOS into the end of the song there. Oh, it's a great, it's a great sound, you know, something you'll never forget. Yeah, yeah, such a good one. Oh, yeah. All right, so let's take a listen to track number two. This one is a cover song, and it's called Brand New Cadillac. And again, here, you're going to get hit right in the face with the diversity of this album right off. The, so you got that punk track coming in with London Calling, and now we get this. So cool. I love this. Nice. <laughs> oh, yeah. Here's one that, you know, this is an old 1959 rockabilly song by oh, Vince yeah. Taylor. It's 100% rockabilly. I mean, they've, they, you know, they kind of edged it up a little bit with the the distorted guitar in the background there and the, you know, um, amazing. So it's, it's actually the first song they recorded for this record. Every song should have a guitar riff like that. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, you could, I could live for like my entire life just listening to riffs like that. <laughs> you know, it, it makes me smile. But you think about these bands and the people that they heard, you know, it came to mind Johnny Rivers, the great Johnny Rivers, Secret Agent Man, you know, yeah. things like that. Boom, 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 boom. You know, just uh, came to mind and made me smile. Because Johnny yeah. Rivers, killer guitar player with the rockabilly and just great stuff. Well, and again, it's always about influences. So these guys are dipping back always. to when they were kids and the stuff they like to listen to. It's just like today, you'll go out and see some of the newer rock bands or hard 
you know, hard rock metal bands, they cover Metallica songs, you know, the punk bands out there, they cover Green Day. So yeah. everybody dips back to their influences. And that's that's where a lot of this stuff comes from. The, the guy that carried a lot of people and just with those riffs was Carl Perkins. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. I just well, love it. I mean, Carl Perkins is like the riff originator pretty, right? pretty much, right? right? When, you, when yeah. you think about it, that riff that you hear there somewhere, Carl Perkins probably played it. Right. It's, yeah. And, you know, that's it, it, you hear a lot of those references, especially in punk music, too, where people are going back to Carl Perkins. They're going back to Little Richard. They're going back to uh, even Johnny Cash, you know, those Elvis. originators, Elvis, right? All those guys from the 50s who were kind yeah. of the originators of rock and roll. Oh. And, you know, sometimes that's that it's a, a simple song, but you can take it and spin it a little bit and really kind of re-energize it. And it's great. I, I love it all. I mean, it, to me, it's just, if you keep playing it like that, the guitar licks in it, the twangy, as they said, Dwayne, Dwayne, Eddie, back Dwayne, Eddie. Sure. Yeah. You know, the twanging guitar, you know, I, yeah. I love everything about it. Yeah. So great. All right. So let's take a listen to, we're doing the first three right in a row here. Uh, this one uh, is number three. And this is called Jimmy Jazz. Totally different sound now, right? So you go through the first three songs, it's so different, you know? So diversity. <laughs> Police walk in for Jimmy Jazz. I said he ain't here, but he sure went by. Oh, you're looking for Jimmy Jazz. Yeah, they said, stop the Massagana for Jimmy Dread. Cut off his gears and chop off his head. Police come look for. <laughs> So good, right? All day long. So again, it's a little, you know, it's a little punked up right here, but still, it's still reserved, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So again, you know, it's jazz. I mean, these guys are, you know, so when you say like a lot of times the the rap is, well, punk musicians can't play, but not everybody's Sid Vicious, you know, these guys actually have some chops. And and this song to me, I, I love it, even though I'm not a huge jazz fan at all, but I love this song a lot. My favorite thing in it at the end as he's going through and it's cycling out, he's saying uh, J-A-Z-Z. Because <laughs> nice. the British uh, Z, you know? <laughs> Z, Z. Z, Z. You know what you were just saying about the guitar players and learning? And, you know, I, I think a whole new generation of people were labeled punk, but very, very talented people. 
you know, like, a, you know, like I was mentioning earlier, the three chords and Johnny Ramone, you know, right. things like that. These guys knew how to play instruments. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And, you you know, you can hear. And so right off the bat, again, it's just such a diversity. Those first three songs are are so unique, each one of yeah. them. And, and yeah. so it's great to see that on one record. All right. So let's... you can feel the influence. You think about it right there, you know, even the Beatles come to mind, you know? Yeah. A little bit, right? You yeah, can feel that in there. Yeah. Yeah, it's got that kind of, that kind of beat that you hear a lot of the Paul McCartney songs, I think. It's always McCartney, so yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's we're gonna skip ahead now. We're gonna jump up to track number five. And this one, another another different style of music here. We're gonna go to Rudy Can't Fail. So this song, you know, again, a whole different style here. This one's like uh, sky, I guess you would classify it as, but it's got a little reggae in there too. Um, so a Rudy or a rude boy is a term for <laughs> the first English generation born to Jamaican parents who had emigrated from Jamaica to England. So they were called the jam English generation. And the rude boys were often looked down on as re, as uh, ir being irresponsible because they were Jamaican and probably black. <laughs> there you go. So uh, it, it, this is one of the many songs on London Calling that evolve out of a pure jamming in the studio. So when they're in there doing that, uh, you know, we talked about before where they're jamming on those covers and stuff like covers, that. Covers, yeah. This is where that grew out of. So the, the sure. studio vibe really made a difference on this record and allowed them to explore. Well, you obviously you could see where they were going with it, you know, but it's like, you know, I know a cat named Way Out Willie. Yeah, right. right. Willie, you know, it's Willie in the hand jive. Yeah, it's similar, right? Oh, yeah. It's rock and roll, dude. Like we talk about it all the time. Yeah. Every, everything is similar if you break it down. So one of the roadies said that they were taking a very casual approach to this. They weren't really, even though, you know, they wanted to get a record out and everything, they were trying to make this loose. So they would get in there, jam a little bit in the morning, go out, play some football, AKA soccer for those, <laughs> uh, those of us here in the States. Then they'd come back and play some more. Then they'd go out and have a few beers and come back and jam again. So it was a very loose thing. And the roadie, uh, Barry, Barry Glare, actually said that it helped. He thought it helped to get that very relaxed, casual and uplifting feel 
on tracks like this one. So that is interesting, yeah. I thought. That's a great tune. Yeah, and so there's also kind of a mix of stuff in here. So you've got ska, which we heard, which is the, that kind of upbeat, happy, you know, bump, ba -dum, ba -dum, ba -dum, and with a little bit of the horn type sound there. <laughs> <laughs> plus, ba -ba 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 -ba. yeah, plus, <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> plus, uh, Mick Jones is kind of playing a little bit like Bo Diddley, like that choppy kind of sound, yeah. you know. And th these bum, guys had, bum, had toured. Bum, bum. Yeah. And they had toured with Bo Diddley uh. the year before this in the U.S. So, you know, it, that along with the heavy ska bass line and the the way the uh, they're playing the drums all comes together in this kind of what you would look at maybe as a mishmash, but it works. Dude, what a great show. <laughs> I never knew that. Dude, Bo Diddley and the Clash would be a yeah, nice night. They, be a they nice opened night out. For they opened for Bo Diddley on right before this record. Wow. So that was, I don't know if it was their first trip to the U S it might've been, but that's where they got the inspiration for the Elvis Presley cover. And so it was it, being in the U S gave them that kind of uh, inspiration for some of these songs. God bless Bo Diddley. Yeah. So good. Right. Oh uh, yeah. All right. So let's take a listen to number six. This one is Spanish bombs. Again, kind of upbeat, right? Spanish songs in Andalusia There's tune inside in the days of 39 Oh, please leave the vendana open Federico Locker, dead and gone Bullet holes in the cemetery wall The black car So the story of this song is uh, that Joe Strummer was driving home late one night from the studio when he heard a report about a hotel on the Costa Brava in Spain getting bombed by Basque terrorists. Yeah. So even though this is a happy peppy song, it's about a terrorist bombing, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Stuff to rhyme terrorist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know what? I want to throw something in here about yeah. the Clash that I, I, you know, they always, you realize us here in America, when we used to hear the British bands, most of them would lose their accent, right? Somehow, some way. They have a very, they still sing with a thick accent, the class. Yeah, yeah. Joe Strummer had it and that it never went away. You know, yeah. he always had that accent. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. The inter the other interesting thing about him singing on this is that all that Spanish stuff is gibberish. So, <laughs> We've so it, do <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. And it's, you know, so it's like kind of half, it's yo quiero o mi corazón, which doesn't yeah. make any sense. So, you know, it's, it's, it, he does, it, even though he's got that 
English accent. He's faking some Spanish here just to be lyrical and move, you know, move the song forward. Hey, mi amigo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's kind of what it's like, right? Hey, where do we go? Hey, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on a rope. <laughs> there you go. There we go. I'm a so songwriter, that, damn it. There you go. Change in profession. Yeah, again. Again. <laughs> All right, so let's move on. We're going to take a listen now to this is track number eight. It is Lost in the Supermarket. So this song, uh, Joe Strummer wrote it, and he wrote the lyrics imagining um, uh, Mick Jones' life growing up in a basement with his mother and grandmother. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so interesting song. Um, also, the drums are kind of interesting on this. Uh, Topper Hedden had, had seen the blues guitarist Taj Mahal play, and his drummer was playing a lot of the normal snare beats, which is usually the one, two, three, four. He was playing those on the floor tom. So if you listen to the song closely, you can hear that in there. These the floor tom is the it's more of a boom, boom, boom. But he's that's the one, two, three, four that you're getting for them for most of the song. So it was a one-off thing that he kind of you know borrowed or stole from Taj Mahal. Yeah, it's one of my favorites. This song. Yeah, yeah, I real love good. It. Yeah, real enjoyable. Joe uh, Strummer also wrote or started to write this song on the back of a uh, package for guitar strings. So if you buy a package of guitar strings, each string has its little paper envelope that it's inside of. Mm -hmm. I don't know if people know that. So there's six, usually six envelopes in a package of guitar strings and it's a paper it's not coded or anything so it's easy to write on so so being a uh, you know guitar player he's got a million guitar string packages and just started writing those lyrics right on the back of that uh ernie ball custom gauge strings package so let's take a listen to track number nine this one is clamp down a little more punky now But you can definitely hear the 80s, right? In here? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
so this one is, you know, this is a, another punk song on the album, obviously, and uh, started off as an instrumental track called uh, Working and Waiting. So the whole kind of theme of the song is don't let them, you know, shut you down, clamp down and, and get in line and, you know, go ahead and do your own thing, which is a very punk thing. rock yeah. attitude, right? You know, I was, was the word new wave in there? I, I, I thought I heard it. I was like, I, you know, I don't know. It was something I heard. Like, it seems like they want us to be the new wave. I, I just, it's something I thought that I heard. That would be interesting. I, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm yeah. not sure of the exact lyrics, but um, it would be ahead of the time, right? Because new wave really hadn't started in, in 1980 yet. It was coming. Yeah, but, but uh, it was coming. But you listen musically, like we always say, if you sit back and you listen musically to this song, what they're playing, it's yeah. amazing. There's a lot going on in this song, musically. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. amazing. So great uh, stuff, great another good song. And this is another one, you know, when you hear people cover The Clash, this mm -hmm. is one that always gets covered. So it's yeah. a popular song against uh, with other bands as well. All right, so let's move along here. We're going to jump forward just one go to number 10 this one is the guns of brixton <laughs> like that so good and this is very reggae influence So this one obviously heavy heavy reggae influence and it, it's actually based on a character from the 1972 movie the harder they come uh which is uh jimmy cliff reggae guy right mm -hmm. and so they're kind of imagining him living in south brixton in in london in the neighborhood of south brixton so um, the interesting thing about this is it's uh, Paul Simonon singing. He wrote the song and he said it was a big moment for him. Uh, he didn't realize the thing he didn't realize was that the songwriters get paid all the money. <laughs> he said, you don't get paid for designing record sleeves and clothes. Yeah, so I better write a song. <laughs> yeah, it's a great idea. If you want so, to make some money. Yeah. And again, this is another one that, you know, if you hear Clash covers, this is one that gets covered uh, fairly frequently. Just a very, very popular song. Yeah. You know, I, a lot of these songs, I always think of other artists. 
you know, but uh, I, I was really into uh, Ian Dorian, the blockheads. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. And it's kind of like that boom, boom, you know, Ian Dorian right. is a strange cat. I love yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and a lot of that music, a lot of the punk music is really influenced by reggae. You know, it's definitely in their background. Um, like my first exposure to reggae, I think was probably in the seventies when, um, the stones were playing with like Peter Tosh and stuff like that. Oh. I, like Mick Jagger recorded a song with him and, uh, walk and don't look back. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that Great stuff is, is really influenced, especially the seventies. I think it seventies and eighties started to really influence a lot of these bands. And Peter Tosh makes it to the podcast. <laughs> there you go. Great song. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, dive into track number 12. This one is Death or Glory. This is a uh, Joe Strummer song. So this song, uh, it's a Joe Strummer kind of looking back at his life and uh, acknowledging complications and responsibilities of adulthood. Mm. But he originally wrote this on the piano. And so when they first wrote it, it was a much slower pace and it was more of kind of a reflective ballad. So it was that looking back on your life kind of thing, but on piano. The main reason they sped it up was because it was very similar similar to As Time Goes By, the film, the song from Casablanca. Sure. So, you know, you take that and you put it on guitars and you speed it up and now you've got a rock song, you know. <laughs> it's just amazing <laughs> how that works. Yeah, it's, it's true though, right? Like we always say, everything goes back to something. Everything yeah. goes back to something. It's not a big deal as much a lot of people make it. Very hard to be original with, with millions and millions of songs being written. Sure. But it's what you do. It's how you adapt those things and how you modify sure. them. And you know, you look at you look at bands that had like where their only hits were cover songs. You know, were they different? Were they the same? Sometimes they were exactly the same, but it was different singer. You know, maybe different instruments, but the song wasn't changed that much. And sometimes it can be as popular as the previous version. You know. Well it just made me think once bitten twice shy right that's a perfect example right yeah yeah that was it became such a huge hit and mott the hoople did it you know right and mott the hoople makes the podcast <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad to be the old guy I really but do am. you know who the record who the re the recorded the the second version was by uh, white, i know white something great white Great white. There you go. I, yeah. I knew it. Yeah. So a lot of those 80s bands, you know, they had um, 
come on, feel the noise by uh, Quiet Riot. Quiet Riot had all cover hits. They hadn't. I don't even know if they had any original hits, did they? Oh no! I, I told you. <laughs> I, 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 uh, personally, I'm a. I'm floating through this. I missed the '80s, but go ahead. Anyway. <laughs> all right. So let's wrap it up. We're gonna skip a bunch here. I wish we had time to go through every one of these songs, but it would. We would have a three-hour podcast. So. Uh, this has been fun, man. Really yeah, yeah, I like, I just love this record. Uh, so we're going to jump ahead to the the album Closer, which may be the most well-known tra uh, trash, <laughs> the most well-known Clash song of yeah. all time. Well, it is, yeah. And uh, it's Train in Vain. Yeah, great tune. <laughs> So this song uh, is written by Mick Jones, the guitar player, and he sings it. So you hear the different voice there on the vocals. And it uh, it looks like the lyrics are a reference to the end of his uh, relationship at the time with a woman named Viv, Viv Albertine. Oh, Viv. Viv. <laughs> so uh, the title of the song comes from the train rhythm of the you know the drums and everything and then they also have that reference to tammy winnett's 1975 hit single stand by your man so they kind of combined a, a couple different things here for a really really popular song it was their first u.s top 40 hit and mm -hmm. they only had one more after this which was rock the casbah in 1982. wow which is when the you know the clash then was out touring with the who in the u.s and then that was kind of the end of the clash after that i think yes, it was so um you know great song but the interesting thing about this was it's it wasn't listed on the album uh in the original pressings because they recorded it so late that they had already printed up the record jackets oh, wow. so they they released it as a single uh and it rose to number 23 on the hot 100 in america making it their, you know, like I said before, their, their biggest hits that far so far. And uh, it's, it's very poppy compared to the rest of the album. So that kind of led to this myth that the Clash didn't want to put it on the album because they were embarrassed by it because it was too poppy, which is just bullshit. <laughs> the, the real answer was just that it was, they were already in production on the, on the artwork and decided to add the song at the end. So it's all rumors i tell you all rumors so we like to do, we like to uh bust those myths myths <laughs> that's a tongue twister bust those myths 
<laughs> My diction is not so good today. <laughs> and diction will certainly become an outtake. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So that's London Calling. Yay. I hope you enjoyed it. It's uh, like I said, it's one of my favorite records. It's right there behind me, always here, close by, near next to my turntable. That's beautiful. So thank you everybody for listening and watching. Yeah. Check us out. Review us on on Apple Podcasts if you can. Give us five stars. We don't want any of these two star reviews. Just five stars. That's all yeah. we accept. If I see a two star. <laughs> There's going to be trouble. <laughs> Don't forget, we're New Jersey guys. Yeah, if you see, if you see, if we see a two-star review, we're going to have to. Then we're going to do like ABBA records or something. But you know what? I'll take it this way: if it's a two-star review, there's one star for you, one for me. It's yeah. Worse. There you That's go. Good. Everybody's we're, happy, right? We're stars. No we're matter stars. what you put there, we're stars. <laughs> No, this All was right. great, man. Good to be with you today. Yeah, you too. And I next week, it. we're going to dive into a little bit of David Bowie. Oh, and I, I had time. this is a real hard choice for me because there's two records I really, really love by Bowie. Yeah. Uh, I wanted I was thinking about Hunky Dory, which we yeah. may do down the road, but we're going to we're going to start it off with Ziggy Stardust. Thank so you. this is going to be <laughs> <laughs> thank you. You don't like Hunky Dory? <laughs> I love them both. I'm, just, right. I'm a big fan of Ziggy Stardust. Yeah. It's to me, Ziggy, to me, Ziggy Stardust yeah. is the the Bowie album. And I love even his later work and stuff. But no, that no. that's just the the all time great album. So thanks for listening. Catch us next week. YouTube for video, everywhere else for audio. InsideTheAlbum.com. Check it out, and we'll see you next week.